Welcome to the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast. Working in the early years is busy, funny, messy and exhausting. Join me, Shana, and the rest of the Twinkle EYFS team as we talk honestly about our experiences as practitioners, teachers and professional nappy changers. Whether you're listening to increase your CPD hours or catching up on our antics whilst driving home from work, Twinkle EYFS will share everything you need to know about all things early years. Hello, wonderful listeners. It's Shana here again from Twinkle Talks EYFS. And my, have we got an amazing episode for you today. Uh, We're going to be talking about emotional literacy with our first international guest, Jenna Moniz, which is very exciting. But before we get there, let's start off with a little bit of fun, shall we? Over to Katie with a special sports day edition of Only in the EYFS. Take it away, Katie. This week, it's only in the Sports Day Edition. We've just received a report from Neil Canard describing parent competitiveness going too far. A dad dashed out of the crowd when their son fell over just metres from the finish line. Dad threw him headlong across the finish line, resulting in the child getting a broken collarbone and first place. No pain, no gain. Sports Day is just as treacherous for adults as it is for children, as Paula Preston proves. When supporting the child in last place, she fell down a hole, injured her ankle and had to be carted across the entire length of the sports field to A&E. We'll expect your application for the Olympics soon, Paula. Continuing to prove that sports day is just as dangerous for adults as it is children, Michaela reminisces on the time her uncle competed in the parents' race, slipped, fell straight into a metal fence, bent the slap and broke his foot. There have been no parents' races since that day. That's it for this episode. Tune in next time for more antics in only in the EYFS. <laughs> My goodness, who would have thought that Sports Day was so hazardous? Um, great to hear from you. And uh, for everybody who has broken something, I really hope you're all right now. Let's see if it happens again soon. Okay, so on to our super cool main event today. Um, we have the wonderful Jenna Monies, um joining us from across the pond to talk about her work in education, but more specifically in looking at the heart and the brain and how they're connected, but also how they relate to emotional literacy. It's a really, really interesting talk and there's also a little bit of interactivity. So here she is. Hello, Jenna. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm really excited, not only about the work that you do, but you're our first international guest. Tell everybody where you're from. Hello, Shana. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so very much. I live in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, and have lived in a number of states in the United States of America. And I'm so pleased to be on with you today. It's really nice, isn't it? And it was actually thinking about um, time zones as well, wasn't it? It was like, okay, so it's the afternoon here for me, but it's the morning here for you. So you've got a whole day set up ready. So hopefully (laughs) today will set up your day really nicely. 
It certainly has for me. Beautiful. But uh, before we get going and we start talking about our really important topic, I think, about emotional literacy and, you know, touching on trauma-informed teaching and things like that, please tell our listeners about you. What what brings you to the podcast and what is your experience in this field and in terms of education as a whole? Thank you so much. Well, I've been in the field of education for many years, right? (laughs) Uh, Close to 30, in fact, which is, uh, I'm in my 40s. I started teaching um, as a tutor in my teenage years, and then it was actually uh, not an education major at university, but I did teach preschool um, in college, university, and then straight after university entered the Peace Corps as an educator in Southeast Africa, Mozambique. Wow. And then bounced to the West Coast and did some teaching with actually university teachers in the Cape Verde Islands on the West Coast of Africa, which is where uh, my forefathers are from. Wow. And spent some time teaching in Brazil and circled back to the United States where I taught for a few years in New England, so Connecticut, not too far from New York, Mm. and then made my way down to South Florida where I taught for close to 20 years um, in a different a number of different capacities. So um, from the classroom to coaching, to curriculum development, to uh, district supervision, and eventually made my way into the world of mindfulness and social emotional learning in South Florida. Did that work for a number of years, even before social emotional learning became a a much more of a mainstream topic. Mm. And um, not too long ago, about a year ago, was offered a position with the HeartMath Institute and have been working with the HeartMath Institute since August and moved to Charlotte where my sister and her daughters live and work remotely and have the opportunity to talk with great folks like you and organizations that are that are doing the work across the globe. Aww. So I'm so excited to, to be talking to you and your, your audience today about emotional literacy. Oh, thank you. And I'm just as excited. Listeners, if you don't already know, I'm completely fangirling over Jenna because the the work that she's done, she did the way I uh, found Jenna is um, there was some early years summits that were going on. LinkedIn is a great way to find absolutely in terms of CPD, isn't it? And finding experts and things. And Jenna was part of a summit and she did a talk and I just... I was just drawn to it in terms of your presentation and the the impact I know that it is going to have on children already, but what we could bring into our classrooms here in England too. And I was just so excited to to bring your expertise here because not only are you from America, which means that we can see what it's like on the other side of the pond as well, but clearly you've been you've been to so many different places. You've seen education work in different settings. And I think that's really useful um, as a practitioner to to get different aspects of education. Um, Before we get into it, what was it like working in the Peace Corps? Oh, my goodness. I have to tell you, and, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the difference between living in the city. And I, you know, not, I grew up not too far from New York City and in a very urban setting. Yeah. And live out in um, almost the woods now. But the Peace Corps, 
you know, typically when you think of a Peace Corps stead, you think of, of being placed out in a very rural setting, um, yeah. doing the work with, you know, hand in hand with community. And um, it's not always the case. There are, there are lots of uh, sites where, and where, in fact, even even my cohort, and we were the first group to go into um, into Mozambique after the Civil War, uh, but many of my colleagues were placed in very urban, you know, city areas. I, however, happened to be placed out in a very, very rural area, not too far from the Indian Ocean, which was breathtakingly beautiful, wow. uh, but also in the crux of nature. So literally no electricity, <gasps> no running water. So it was kind of like that Peace Corps experience that you think of uh, the quintessential being, you know, out in the middle of nature. Yeah. Um, and it was, I tell you, it was one of the happiest times in my life in terms of its simplicity. Mm. It was, I woke up with the sun. I went to sleep with the sun. I was with one with nature. Um, it was, it was an amazing experience. I, I taught classes, secondary classes, uh, ninth grade through 12th grade, um, the equivalent. So, so secondary school in, in Mozambique and, and my classes were, I have to tell you, I, I had up to 60 students in one classroom. Oh my. And close to no resources, material resources. And I would imagine that my teaching style was um, very different from what, what my students had experienced because, it, you know, I have always been a very student-centered, hands-on, in, interactive, silly maybe at times <laughs> kind of educator. So there were times where my students were going, what are we, are we really going to sing this? Yeah. <laughs> are we, are uh -huh. we really going to, to do this? So, so. It was eye-opening to me in terms of the shift, I believe, that um, we've been making for a long time in education mm. from um, more of a lecture style, information one-way, content information one-way style to more of an engaging student-centered, starting where students are style. Um, but the experience overall was absolutely amazing. I was taken care of by my, my community like I was a family member. And if I had the opportunity, I would go back in a heartbeat. Oh, that's oh, it's just amazing. I feel like that would be my dream as well. At one with nature, just and like you say, really appreciating yes. just, just life as it is. You know, we don't need all those extra luxuries. You took the words out of my mouth. I was just going to say, you realize how little you need to survive on, first of all. Um, yeah. But how little you need to be and feel fulfilled. I would spend hours watching the stars at night. You can imagine how dark the sky was at night. And so there were yeah. a gazillion stars in the sky at all times. Um, I will tell you, I learned that it is not easy to start a fire, though. Oh, oh <laughs> just, gosh! Just start and keep a fire going. So some of some of you know in this in the states we have for for young children what are called the Girl Scouts and um, yes. Boy Scouts and you've got and, them and, too. Yes, and so some of those survival skills had to come into play. Uh, but it, but it's not an easy it's not an easy task to to get a, a fire going and keep it going. No. Uh, 
eating became a chore. I'll say that much. Right. And you have to really think about it and, and really have time to do that, don't you? Like my listeners already know that I'm very into growing my own food. Like okay. Jenna, I've got so much in my garden. Like I'm really proud really? of it. Like I've already made a pavlova with all of my strawberries. I've got a cheesecake coming up. I've got so many vegetables. I'm not going to go on, but I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud of it. You are kidding. That sounds like a dream. Why, thank you. But in terms of everything else to do with survival, I don't think I'd quite make it. So yes, and- in terms of the hunter-gatherer, I might be the gatherer, yes. you know. There we go. <laughs> we'll make a good team. Yes, we should. We should totally do this. It'd be great fun. <laughs> I don't know if, and that is my, my aspirations are to, you know, to. I've been here since, you know, only a few months now and I've got a lot of a lot of trees and and a decent sized yard and it's my goal to have a garden one day a beautiful garden but with so many deer yes. and rabbits and everything else that come through at night i don't know how long they would survive but we'll find out they'd really appreciate your growing we'd have some happy uh you'd have some very happy chubby deer and rabbits that's and right there's n- none left for you <laughs> that's it Oh, bless you. It will have been worth it. (laughs) Oh, for sure. For sure. So what kind of brought you into the emotional literacy and social and emotional development side of things? It's such a good question because we just talked about my, my stead abroad. So English as a new language... Um, has has been my background for many years. I'm nationally certified in English as a new language uh, in the United States. And so I, I spent, oh, close to 10 years uh, in South Florida, of course, you know, ex- very, very diverse and working with um, educators on strategies for inclusivity and strategies for literacy for all learners. And when you start to look across the board, and, and even in my graduate studies in brain-based instruction, many of the strategies are similar mm. in that these are teaching strategies that appeal to the way that students, the way that young people naturally think. And so in my years of studying, what I thought were was almost the final frontier, right, of learning the brain. And the way that uh, we, we, th- we learn best, the way for creating environments that are most conducive to learning, so much of what we talked about and learned about and, ex- and, and practiced had to do with the affective, you know, the affect and had to do with emotions and had to do with environment and had to do with the way students are feeling safe and comfortable and supported to learn. Yes. Um, So it wasn't until years later, to be completely honest with you, Shana, that I realized most of what we learned about, most of what is taught about brain-based instruction has so much to do actually with the heart. And now that I work with the HeartMath Institute, it, it, it makes sense that the brain and the way that we learn functions only as well as the heart is doing. For example, I did not know that the heart forms before the brain does in a fetus. Oh, wow. It forms and begins beating 
before the brain begins to develop. That's crazy. It is. You'd totally think it's the other way around, wouldn't you? You would think that it's the other way around. I mean, if you think about it, the body can survive on, you know, if, if, if God forbid, something were to happen to the brain, mm-hmm. the body is still alive. Mm. But if the heart goes, that's it. That's lights out. Yeah, gosh, <laughs> yeah. when you put it like that, yeah. Yeah, there's either a transplant or that's it. So the heart truly is the stem, if you will, of as well as the brain can function. You, we, we can only think as clearly as the communication that comes from the heart. I did not know that the communication between the brain and the heart, which comprises our autonomic nervous system, most of the communication between the brain and the heart, 80 to 90%, actually comes from the heart in the form of afferent or, or ascending waves from the heart to the brain. Wow. As opposed to the brain to the heart. So, so it, it really does function heart to brain, brain to body. And, and so it makes sense that it's difficult to think clearly if emotionally we're not in a good place. Mm. It's difficult to make clear and concise decisions if the information from the heart is uh, what we would call incoherent. Yeah. So the Heart Math Institute talks a lot about coherence between the brain, heart, and body. And if you think about the word coherence, it really has to do with communication. The ability for the brain to, to receive clear information from the heart and vice versa. And so we work with young people, we work with adults, we, we work with our, our clients and, and more and more in the realm of education, which is part of why I was brought on onto the HeartMath Institute team as we expand into the world of education. Most of what we do has to do with what we call the regulation or really just understanding and being in more control of the information that comes from the heart to the brain. It's interesting the way you talk about how the heart and the brain are so connected and it's actually in a different way than we think. You you know, I'm sure I'm not the only one who would say, oh, hang on, I, I thought it was the brain that controls everything. And you're now you've, ta- you know, I've realized, well, hang on a minute. There's a lot more to our heart that I think humans as general take him for granted. And especially in the education sector where we have a duty to our to our children that are in our care to develop them holistically like you say education is so much more than the lecture base the instruction that we talk you listen it's so much more than that and it's actually about listening like you said to where our where our where our students where our children are at not just in the brain where they are developmentally which is of course really important but actually where they are in their heart there are children that are I mean we've all just gone through COVID we've all just been through a really traumatic time it's not over and there are things going on in different parts of the world that really affect our children and over here in England in terms of our early years um, uh, curriculum we have three prime areas that are kind of like our lead subjects if you will and one of them is personal, social and emotional development. And, you know, over here, it's very much we have to get that part right before we even look at 
the alphabet, before we even look at phonics, before we even look at maths, getting communication and language, personal, social, and emotional development and physical development is the priority. And I think it's quite natural for us to go, oh, well, I can teach uh, literacy. I can teach how to write. I can teach how to maths. How to maths? What does that even mean? I can teach the aspects of maths. But how do we teach social and emotional development? And I just think everything that you're doing is answering a lot of those questions. So I'm going to put my teacher hat on now and think, ask you, what? why is it so important to teach our children how to recognise and understand their emotions? Well, I couldn't agree with you more about the importance of social and emotional learning as a priority. We educators, we, if you think about it, do, do we really teach literacy? Do we teach our content area? Are we teaching our subject area? Or are we teaching people? Yes. Right? Are we teaching young people? And I think that's part of the shift from, as an educator, it's me and the content that I've known and that I've studied for years and that I may be an absolute expert at. Mm-hmm. You can be a phenomenal expert in a subject area, but have a very hard time relating to your audience. And we're social creatures. Mm-hmm. We are social beings. And we're seeing, I think, more and more, especially, like you said, after these occurrences, um, not just with the pandemic, and I'm sh- sure you've heard about some of the horrific you know, events that we're experiencing and living through here in the U.S. in our school systems, there's a lot of uncertainty, Mm. if not fear. Mm. Um, And what we know is that physiologically, the brain has a really, really difficult time receiving, processing, transferring information when it's in a state of fear, Mm. right? We we, we're, we talk a lot now, and hopefully it is becoming mainstream conversation as educators about what happens when you're in a state of fight or flight and the amygdala being in, set off and um, the chemicals, the cascade of chemicals, really, that pour through your body when you're in a, a state of fear, whether it's um, low-level anxiousness to, to high-level fear cortisol and and the the rest of the cascade of chemicals that are running through your body literally make it impossible for your neural connections to even happen adequately. So, So in order for learning to even happen, you have to be in a state of safety. You have to feel safe. And Unfortunately, we know right now that many of our students, many of our young people, and and let's be honest, many of the adults um, don't feel safe in the world. It's and it's easy to get into that place because hello, turn on turn on the television. Yeah, <laughs> some of these yeah. stories are um, so. So it behooves us to have this conversation of what does your environment look and feel like. In my opinion, it's, it's almost as important to focus on how we teach or facilitate learning um, as it is what we're facilitating, what we're teaching. Yeah. 
And so never more has it been, I think, more important as so many shifts are happening and technologically and with social media and every, you know, the, the connection that our young people have with social media and how much stimuli is um, in front of them all the time. It, it, the, the, the challenge is, is really increased for educators to engage students, keep their attention, make learning um, enjoyable, right? Le- right. Learning, sh- learning should be fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially at that such a young age. 100%. At, especially at such a young age. There's much to be said about wonder. There's much to be said about curiosity. There's much to be said about making mistakes and being out in the world and exploring and being in a state of awe. There's much to be said about nature, right? Mm. And the healing powers of nature. And the more that we are confined in um, closed rooms and I know here there's a lot of conversation about locked doors and safety, you know, the, 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 the more convergent our focus becomes, the more focused on on survival we become, as opposed to being in a more divergent place where possibilities can happen, where true creativity and innovation lives. And it's really difficult to be in a place of creativity and innovation, which we know inherently means you're going to flub and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fall and you're going to... It's really difficult to be in a state and a space of curiosity, creativity, innovation if you don't feel safe, if you don't feel secure, if you don't feel supported. And so, you know, a pandemic and, and the, the horrific things that are, are happening in the school systems right now are one, in, are one you know, high-level example but for a lot of our young people, walking into a large crowded room, walking into audiences, walking into, you know, what we call the cafeteria, you know, to have lunch um, before taking an assessment, a test can be um, anxiety provoking. So, so it's important also to look at that low level anxiousness, the, the low level worry, because what we know and what we study is that that certainly takes a toll on the body as well. Mm. We look deeply in our research at the HeartMath Institute over the last 30 years has been focused around heart rate variability, or HRV as we call it. And this is different from your heart rate. This is not how many times your heart beats per minute. It's the pattern of your heartbeat, the rhythm of your heartbeat, if you will. Right. And what we know is that the more variability or the more adaptability that your heart rate has, the more capacity you have for situations in the world that may be stress-provoking. So our work in uh, self-regulation, emotional regulation, really is about building capacity, really is about building resiliency, really is about building that threshold for life circumstances. And what we know is that Much of that practice has to do with where we place our attention, where we place our focus, because our focus and our attention is our consciousness. Yeah. And if we are always focused on something external, if it is technology, if it is the television, if it is whatever it is, whatever the quality of the information that is giving feedback to our our system, our autonomic nervous system, right? Our brains and our hearts. 
is going to entrain, is really going to have a, a large impact on how, our, how we feel, our emotional state. And as we talked about, our, the information that travels from the heart to the brain, which is where we're able to think clearly, think creatively, um, our executive functioning lives, our decision-making, really has so much to do with the quality of the information that is coming from the heart. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our work has to do with placing your focus, your attention internally. And while we've been led to believe for so many years that the autonomic nervous system, right? It's called the autonomic nervous system because it works automatically. (laughs) And thank goodness it does, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't have to remind the lungs to pump and we don't have to remind the the digestive system to do its thing. It, It happens automatically. But we now know that we have much more control over our autonomic nervous system than we thought previously. And much of that has to do with where we place our focus, where we place our attention. We feel a certain way because we've had a certain thought. And so in our work with young people and the adults that support our young people, we start off with the focus, individual focus. So for adults, we would say the, the, the first thing you do is, is regulate yourself. Right. Focus on your own heart rate variability, focus on your own emotional state. Mm -hmm. And it works, Shauna, just like an athlete. And as you know, we work with with athletes and professional teams and Olympic athletes. Um, And the reason is because emotional regulation, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing in the moment, um, with increased levels of, of... of stress, if you will, um, has a lot to do with where you place your attention, where you place your focus. And so just like we train our athletes to shift their, what we call baseline, to a more coherent normal state to where that becomes their new normal, their new baseline, that's the same work that we do with young people and with adults. The language may be a little bit different. the language that we would use with young people is um, getting our systems in sync. So your brain is working in sync. They're synchronized. It's working in sync with your heart. And we know that it's also not just a personal thing, right? So we start with the individual. We start with the educator. We start with young people on that training into personal coherence. It's like, just like what we, you know, our athletes will train and it's just like muscle memory. Um, this is an en- energetic memory, if you will, and a training into a more a place of coherence. Super simple, super quick. It's not meditation. It starts with breathing, but it's not meditation. These are techniques that an athlete should be able to use in the moment and a student should be able to use in the moment. And what we also know, right, is that it's not just about the individual person. It is also about the interaction among people. Mm -hmm. So we know that you can measure the electromagnetic frequency outside of the brain just about an inch. But outside of the heart, you can measure it three feet and beyond. Wow. That's a lot. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
Wow. Ultimately, what we're saying there is the heart is far more powerful than the brain. Gosh. And it's, it kind of touches on that, you know, when you feel something, we say like, oh, you catch a vibe from someone. This is it. This is actually the, the science behind it. There is actually tangible energy from your emotions, from your heart, more than the brain, apparently. This is actually the measurable empirical science behind, uh, and our kids will refer to it as that. A yeah. vibration. It's a vi- it's a frequency. Yeah. It's it's a frequency not not too different than the frequency that your cell phone gives off. Um, and just because you can't see it with the naked eye doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. This is what we measure in heart rate variability. And you're absolutely right. If you think about it, Shauna, right? If you walk into a room and there's just been an argument. Yeah. You can almost feel the tension in the room. Yeah, for sure. Right? Oh yes. Many a staff meeting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> As opposed to walking into a room where you can tell folks have been having a good time and there's just a lighter energy in the room. Well, exactly like you're saying, we know that that is real. Yeah. And we know that this is measurable. So the larger implication there is that it's, yes, it is about you first and foremost, but also your emotional state impacts the people around you and vice versa. So collectively, whether it be in a school setting, in your family, within your relationships, collectively, that energy, your, your, your heart rate variability and your energy field um, literally, truly impacts others. And it's not just humans, by the way. You know, nature and, and animals, and we've got some really interesting research happening now with tree rhythms. Um, so we're talking about, you know, organic. I'm feeling this. Like, that's right. <laughs> Even my deer in the front. <laughs> oh, this is, I was just going to say, I've been feeding some birds in my garden, right? And they, Lovely. I feel, I honestly, I feel like I've got a relationship with them. And that sounds really stupid. And I feel like I'm just trying to be Snow White when I'm not. But I'm telling you, Jenna, they now know who I am. They now know, they see me through the window and they, na- they know I'm coming to feed them and they all tweet, tweet, tweet away. And it's like, they get excited to see me and now they trust me and they eat while I'm like outside with them. And I just feel this connection, Jenna, but I've, these birds love me and I love them. Is this the same thing? Well, we are talking the same language. Absolutely. And, and I will say this, yep. <laughs> I will say this, that, um, Our work is largely focused at this point, certainly on personal coherence, but we are moving further and further into the active science, the live science of social coherence, how our energy fields impact others, how the energy field of nature impacts us and vice versa. So yes, trees um, certainly have uh, energetic quality. There's lots of research already into the communication among and between trees, um, animals for sure. We have lots, you know, we, we've done research on, on horses and, and, and why animal therapy is, is a thing. Uh, yeah. And, and entrainment is the process of your magnetic energy impacting that of others or other life forms. And so there's a reason why we feel good and healthy in nature and out in the trees. There's a reason why forest bathing is a real practice. Oh, um, I love forest bathing. Sorry, I'm just nerding out here. That's like, it. 
But it includes your birds as well. Of course it does. I'll tell them. I'll tell them that we were excited. <laughs> what we're learning in this active living research, and this is, we are inviting civilians. We are inviting um, anyone to be a part of this research as well, because this is, this is active science um, and, and, and exploration. Our hypothesis is that collectively, our energetic fields, our emotional states collectively impact the global field. Mm-hmm. And so we said this is about us personally, but it's bigger than that. It's about us collectively, and it's bigger than that. When you add all of this up collectively, collaterally, and we measure this, and NASA measures this, and we work with NASA, Oh wow! is that collectively, really, truly, our thoughts and our emotions and our heart rate variability and the quality that we emit impacts and modulates the magnetic field that surrounds the globe. Wow. So it is real and it is measurable. Yeah. And it is it is true live active research that's happening right now. And it's pretty important if it literally affects the entire globe. This is important work. It's extremely important and you know what's so beautiful to me about it Jana is so many of our young people right now I you know are struggling with isolation feeling isolated, feeling alone, even though, you know, social media is supposed to be a way that they connect. And um, what, what, what we're seeing happening right now, I would almost label as, a, as an isolation epidemic, even educators. Mm-hmm. You can be surrounded by people all day long, but if, if you don't feel connected and supported, it can be a very isolating place and, and position. Mm-hmm. And so... The connectivity, the interconnectivity, being connected with your own heart and your heart's intelligence, first and foremost, and others, because we're social creatures and we know and now can measure that we impact one another. And globally, when, when you think about the importance and the impact of connectivity, which is the opposite of feeling isolated, to me, the beautiful message in that to our young people is that every thought and every emotion that you have is so extremely important. It's so important. It matters so deeply. In fact, it turns in to matter, if you will. And so for a little girl or a little boy or young people that are feeling like no one, no one understands me, um, who are feeling alone and feeling unimportant because we know that being a part of belonging, being a part of a community, feeling connected, feeling supported, feeling valued is crucial for human need, Mm. right? It's it's just above the need for um, safety and security and a roof over your head. Just, Just above that sits the importance of belonging and mattering. And so if you know that every single thought and emotion that you have actually has impact and actually matters and actually turns into matter, then you realize how important you are as an individual in this collective whole that we have. Every single person is needed and important. It's kind of like all hands on deck here. And to me, it's so empowering because if our our hypothesis is that collectively, 
we can modulate the magnetic field that surrounds the globe in a positive way through renewing emotions, through compassion, through care, through empathy, through love, then we really truly have the power to turn this ship and, and, and steer this future for young people in the direction so that this becomes an earth that they want to live in, right. that they can live in. And isn't that what being an educator, this is why, this is why we do it, isn't it? I think we all innately have that. They, we want to empower our young people. This, this is, they are inheriting the earth and they, they are the ones that are going to make this a better place. So let's support them now. And I just, I could listen. I could just, honestly, I could listen to you for hours because this is what is important. And, you know, it, now we know the science behind it and you've educated us on actually, yes, this is a tangible thing. And this is something that we do really need to pay attention to not only in our students, but in ourselves. How, how do we as, as practitioners, as educators, even as parents, how do we support our children in recognize, even just recognizing these states or recognizing the tangibility? Like you said, what really touched me was to let every child know that everything they think and feel matters. That is so important because there are going to be millions of children who are in different scenarios where they do not feel that and they are told they do that that is not the case, that their feelings do not matter, their thoughts do not matter. And I think it's our duty as educators to be like, yes, you do. You do Certainly. matter. And like you said, we, that we're going to have children that not only have their own heart rhythms and their own energy that they're carrying positively or negatively, but what's going on at home? What's going on outside of the education sector? What's going on outside of our classrooms, our settings, our nurseries, affecting our children that they are also taking on from other people? You know, how do we, how do we manage that? Certainly. I think first and foremost understanding the impact and the importance of emotions mm. and understanding their power, almost as almost a superpower we talk about it, you know, with, with young people. They are their their feelings are theirs to have to to own, to take care of. They're, they're so special, they're so important. And also they begin to write what gets created around them in their worlds. And so I read once that the most common childhood trauma is not feeling seen or heard. And if you think about it, how common is that? And, and, and not even out of malintention. Mm. Of course, as educators and parents, we have good intentions, but... I can speak for myself. It wasn't until my son, who's now off in university and, and, and thriving, thank God, but it wasn't until he was too old, in, into double digits, that I realized, oh my goodness, I've been focusing so much on behaviors. I've wanted him to act and be and show up a certain way so much that the focus was, was on the external stuff, on the behaviors. How many times did I stop and pause to think about the decisions that we made 
and how they impacted him emotionally. And stop to think and ask, how do you feel about this? How, how, how does this, do you like what we're going, I mean, even simple ideas like what, you know, what we're going to do for vacation. Um, and, and I think that, I'm hopeful that the direction of, and the rise of things like conscious parenting and, 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 and conscious discipline, et cetera, are focusing more on um, being a, a young person-centered, a student-centered uh, approach and focused more on the inside, on, on, on emotions and, and what's at the root cause of behaviors, right? Um, as opposed to just the external behavior. But it takes time because it's an evolution. And I remember sitting still and doing my work like a good girl for years and years and years and being bored out of my mind and wanting to be outside and playing and exploring and climbing trees and socializing and having fun, and yeah. which is learning in so many yeah. ways. So I've, I do feel hopeful in the direction that we're going um, with education, looking more at the student first as a human holistic being versus looking at our content and, and all of the information, right, that we want to pour into these empty vessels. Not true. <laughs> they, come, they come wired. Absolutely. They come wired with all of these beautiful uh, uniquenesses and talents and gifts if we just allow it to, right. to, to unfold and to shine, which really brings us back to the, the intelligence of the heart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, oh, I can't remember where I read it, but it was things like, like you said, you know, children are not empty vessels. Absolutely not. Regardless of what age they come into your preschool, your nursery, you know, a lot of our sectors have baby rooms. And isn't it that they start developing experiences and things in the womb? It's before they're even in this world that there are things happening in their DNA and their unconscious mind that they're bringing to to the world anyway and like you say we need to recognize that where it is and where they are and be so student-centered and get to the root of like you say not just looking at the behavior what's what is what is the cause of that behavior how are they feeling what has happened that has made them feel that way that has impacted and it's certainly it's, it's, it's tricky, it is, but it's so important. And I love that you touched upon about looking after ourselves as well, because I think as educators, we are really giving, we are self-sacrificing and we always put our students first. But actually in terms of our own self-regulation, our emotional literacy, that also has an impact, doesn't it, on, on our class and things like that. So this is probably what we're all thinking in here is in not only are we, you know, looking looking after our children and their emotional literacy but how do we do that for ourselves at the same time certainly and now that we know that our emotional states impact the people around us physiologically it's once you see your heart rate variability reading and it really gives you a good idea in the moment, real time, your, of your emotional state. And if you know that three feet and beyond you, you're impacting others and it really behooves you, if for no other reason, uh, to take care of ourselves first. And, you know, with our practices, whether it be with parents or educators, in terms of behavioral regulation and the regulation of the young people around us, the first thing that we suggest is get yourself regulated. Mm -hmm. Get yourself regulated because through the process of entrainment, 
if you are a vessel, if you are a, if you are holding a space of coherence and clarity and calm, and it's an alert calm, then we know that you're going to impact the folks around you, the people around you, especially these very suggestible, susceptible young people around you. So your state alone, your calm state alone is going to impact the emotional state of young people. And the reverse is true. So if, if the young person gets you frustrated and what you are giving off is frustration, irritation, anger, then that's going to only feed into it. So that is exactly the training that you know I alluded to before is no matter what's going on outside of you, because oftentimes it's difficult to calm the storm, right? You can't stop the storm outside of you. None of us can, on our own, uh, put an end to the pandemic. We would have done it if it was possible or put an end right. to all of these things that are out of our control. And, and that's part of the stress, I think, is that we can't control it. Yes. We can't control the outside stuff, but you can absolutely control what's happening inside. So you can, you can control and choose the weather or the music or however you like to refer to it, the, the rhythm that your heart is giving off, which then sends information to your brain to be able to even make decisions. While we can't control what's happening outside of us, we can control what's happening inside of us. And so we would always say the first step is to, to make sure that you are in a coherent state as an educator, as an adult, as a parent. Get yourself in sync first. And that really only takes 60 seconds. Because again, it's not a, it's not a, a practice in um, going and sitting and closing your eyes, turning the lights off and meditating, etc. Although meditation is wonderful. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of meditation. This really is about where you're putting your focus and your attention. It's more active, if you will. Okay. So literally, our suggestion would be to focus on your heart, Because where you put your focus is where you put your power. Where you put your focus, you can then move things. And once your focus is on your heart, just be aware of your breathing. So you're breathing in and out a little slower and deeper than usual. And the only reason we say that is because we tend to breathe shallowly or hold our breath when we're stressed. So it, this really just is making sure that you're breathing. And that's called heart-focused breathing. From there, believe it or not, that being the first step, placing your focus on your heart, breathing in and out a little slower and deeper than usual. That alone calms your autonomic nervous system. It tells your body that you're safe. From there, you're in a more calm, alert state. From there, we can do things. From there, what we tell our kids, right, who think of this almost as music, then you get to be the DJ of the music that you want to play. Or from there, you get, you get to choose the rhythm that you want your heart to sing because the quality of what the rhythm that your heart is giving off is going to impact everything else and those around you. 
And so from there, we would draw upon a renewing emotion. From there, it gets fun. But the starting point really, literally, truly takes 60 seconds. Put your focus on your heart. Breathe in and out a little slower and deeper than usual. It's called heart-focused breathing. And that simple act alone shifts your body into a state of more homeostasis balance to where you can actually make, make changes. You can change and shift your baseline. I have to tell you, me doing that with you just now, listeners, I hope you did that with us. And if you didn't, please rewind and go back to that state and do what Jenna was suggesting. I, I honestly, I, I can feel the impact. Listeners, if you don't know already, I have an autoimmune called Crohn's, uh, which affects uh, my body in a variety of different ways. And I've, I've, I have to admit, I've struggled today. Uh, it's been a challenging day, but just having that moment, putting my hand on my heart, focusing on my heart, look, f- you know, feeling my breath, slowing it down. It just, it really does tap in. And I just, I mean, obviously it's not going to cure me. No one's suggesting that, but I feel more, I feel better. And I know that I can get back to, like you say, that equilibrium Absolutely. and I can start off on a better foot. And if it just takes 60 seconds, Jenna, wow, we can, the, the impact that we can make. I love that you put your hand on your heart, Jenna. And it's a suggestion that we make initially for sure. You know, with your athletes and folks who are practicing this and, you know, you get so adept at it that you're, you know, you're walking, you can be walking onto a bus, walking into a crowded room, walking into a stadium. But initially, at first, it's a really good idea to put your hand over your heart. You can close your eyes if you'd like. And, but the only reason that we do that is to really help guide your focus so that you're not distracted by things that you're seeing out in the world. And then by putting that physical hand over your heart, it just mm. really helps you to pull your attention. Yeah, to, engaging all the um, senses, your heart. isn't it? That's right. Yeah. That's right. I wish this talk could go on forever, but we have some questions from our listeners. We've had so much good feedback, really excited about the work that you do. Um, And it's a hot topic over here. I think we're all, like you say, we have all innately been ready for this kind of work. But now it's almost like we're waiting for permission. And I'm like, listeners, if, if you need that permission, this is your episode to say, if this is what has been on your heart and this is what you feel like you've been needing to do with your children, this is the permission 100% and so some really good questions here for some of our listeners that just really want to they want to learn from you they want to learn more so we've got uh Dushinka Xavier and they ask what are the basics what are the must-have kind of things or techniques or whatever to, to teach or to cover well I think some of these like we talked about earlier is first and foremost validating and empowering young people Uh, to know that their thoughts and their emotions are so very important and to take care of them and we're going to help you take care of them and to know that the way that you're feeling matters. Uh, We're not going to brush it off and just and 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 focus only on the behaviors. We want to get to the the root cause of of, and and the and the root of, of what we're feeling. And so from there the empowerment of knowing, okay, well, if my emotions and the way that I'm feeling are important and I'm to take care of them, the next step from there is knowing that 
you've got a lot of power and control over how you do feel, mm. no matter what's happening outside of you, no matter how young you are. Mm -hmm. We work with very young people, even two and three. I, my niece is three years old and... Oh. And especially for the young ones, you know, we'll guide them. Put your hand on your heart. Do you feel that? And what is, you know, asking what is it that what is it that you're feeling? And just giving them the literacy, the language to label emotions. Yes, because it's. I I think it's one of the least. <laughs> I, I don't know which language. I I've I've read that it that it may be. Um, the German language, maybe the Spanish language, the Portuguese language that have lots of words, lots of words to describe emotions. Yes, yes. I don't know about in the English language, but typically when we ask a young person, how are you feeling? You know, it's, I'm sad, I'm mad, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, and, yeah. and we don't, we don't have lots of language to describe the nuances of emotions. So building the vocabulary, the literacy around emotions, um, and, that, and that they are almost young people's superpower, yes. that they've got the superpower to control what they're feeling, right? No matter how young they are, no matter how, what's going on around them. And of course, it takes time, and of course, it's a curve, but just starting off with um, validating and giving the power back to young people so that they own their voice yes. around their emotions. And I love that we're moving into a space where there's more inclusivity and that we're not labeling as much as we used to gender roles and feelings that should be assigned to gender roles, etc. I know it happens a lot in the States, especially with young boys who are discouraged from expressing their feelings and discouraged. Well, it from, happens here too. Yeah. And discouraged from feeling fear or sadness. And it's, we're teaching them from very young that their emotions don't matter mm. or that their emotions are, are to be a certain way because of um, what they were born with. Yeah. And so, having a much more open and inclusive approach and embracing the feelings, no matter what, because there are no bad feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing, uh, teaching, empowering a young person to know that even as a young, a very young person, how you feel matters and we can do something about it. You know, if you're not feeling good, well, we, we can do something about it by where you place your focus. Amazing. Amazing. And actually, um, Maria Roberts has got a really good question leading on from what you were saying. Um, she asks, I mean, of course, all children are different, but are there any particular ways of helping children with additional needs um, or perhaps children who have difficulty communicating, whether it's verbally or any other? How do we, are, are there any ways helping those particular children develop emotional literacy? Absolutely. And I'm reading also in the question, responses to trauma, maybe. And, and so with regard to responding to trauma, what, what we know happens in the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system in response to a trauma, and we know that trauma is not necessarily an event. Mm. It's not something that um, 
a thing that happens or occurs, for example. It's your response to it. It's how you perceive the thing that happened. And let's be honest, uh, with what we've all lived through globally, um, we've, all, we've all, you know, endured huge change anyhow. And so the body responds to trauma in a way that, right, you mentioned a threshold. We all have a threshold. We have a window of healthy resilience. And that's a window where we are able to deal with, cope with stressors, um, external stressors. And what happens with trauma is that that threshold closes. And so what we see happening in young people, right, whose brains aren't even fully, completely developed and their executive functioning is not even fully developed yet, what we see as a result and oftentimes showing up in behaviors, is that young people will have a reaction to either shut down, a hypo reaction, or a hyper reaction and to act out. They're outside of that window, they're outside of that threshold, and they don't know what's happening, but it may cause them to either shut down or to act out or to oscillate between the both. And so from the outside as an adult, if we're only looking at the behavior and not understanding what's going on underneath and peeling off the layers and asking the questions about what happened to get to the, the source of it, um, we're, only looking at, we're only looking at the, um, the external effect. Mm. And as it relates to young people who are not able to or have a difficult time verbalizing their emotions... Well, this, this, is, this is when and how brilliant educators do what we do, do, what we do right? And, and dig into our resources, and no child is the same. Right. I, was, I had the pleasure of working with a, a teenager not too long ago um, who was introduced to me as, um, you know, being on the autism spectrum and being nonverbal and all of these labels up front, and I was told to expect that he would not talk to me. Uh, he doesn't have the language to express how he's feeling. And certainly I'm not saying that, you know, this happens in every instance and in every case, but what we found is that as his guard was let down, right, because he would get very anxious, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant mind, and had so many things that he wanted to say, so many ideas that he wanted to express, so many connections that he wanted to make. And every time that he would try to verbalize how he felt, he would get anxious and then it started a spiral of him, him having a difficult time verbalizing. But the more that we practiced self-regulation, the more that we focused his attention on his heart to calm the anxiety, to begin to send more renewing emotions from the heart to the brain. He was able to think more clearly. His brain was able to send the messages to the rest of his body. He was able to express himself and not just find the words to express himself, but also to say things like, wait, <laughs> I need a moment. Hmm. I need a moment to gather my thoughts. So it really was him getting to know his own body and what would work for him, because every child is individual and unique, and what works for one child may not necessarily work for another child. But little by little, he began to express himself, 
By the end of our sessions, we were dancing and singing together, and he was telling me stories, and it was like, I've, I've got to go, but he wanted to tell me one more story. Oh, um, wow. And, and the, the confidence that he was able to build in our time together, in that safe, supportive environment, because, you know, let's face it, kids can be kids, can be kids and kids can be mean to one another, and that's an important important conversation and probably a whole entire segment that we could share together about the impacts of, of relationships, interpersonal relationships within schools and bullying and such. But setting the tone within your classroom, within your, your room about caring for not only your feelings and, and, and your thoughts and emotions that they matter, but also so does the person sitting next to you. Mm. We are only as strong as we are collectively, and we are all connected. And so really teaching the skills of taking care of one another and empathizing with one another, and that starts with perspective. Hmm. And even if we don't right, fast forward, think the same way, vote the same way, choose the same things on the same, the, the idea that, that we're divided is directly counter our research at the HeartMath Institute. We are so intrinsically interconnected, and it doesn't even matter where in the world you're living. We also know that this energy is non-local. So it's as important to take care of your partner, your classmate, your neighbor, your, your family member, as it is to take care of yourself. And even, even if you don't think that harboring negative feelings towards someone else impacts you, we know it does. It's, it's, it's not something that just goes out. If, if you're holding that thought and that feeling, it's in your body. It's in, it's in your physiology. Yeah. Even if it's directed at someone else, it's living in your physiology. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kindness has to be something that we focus on from very young and connectivity because this this notion of isolation, and we know how dangerous isolation can be and loneliness. And there are all kinds of uh, statistics and research done on loneliness and the impact on longevity and health, etc. But I, I don't think we have to look into old ages. I think we're seeing the impact of it happening certainly right here, right now in the United States with uh, these tragic school shootings, etc. It's, it's an isolation epidemic, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's been amazing, Jenna. It's been amazing. Um, before we go, this is such a weird end of like tone. We're switching the tone, but we're gonna have a little bit of fun. Let's do it. We've did some really. We've, done, we've got. We've gone deep this episode, which is it's just been incredible. But with our guests at the end, we always play a little game. I love it. Uh, which I hope you find fun, uh, just to kind of end the episode. And it's called "Would You Rather Teacher Edition." So Ooh. these are quick fire questions, quick fire answers. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see because this is like an international version. You've given us some mm. international questions and I'm, I'm intrigued to find out what you say. So, Uh-oh. okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, round number one, always the same for everybody. Okay. Would you rather tea or coffee? Oh, goodness. I am a fan of both. Uh, it's on the fence, Jenna. 
Well, I, I will choose. <laughs> I will say, and it's, it's funny timing because um, my Nana, my, my maternal grandmother, when she passed, we all got a copy of her, her gratitude journal. Oh. And appreciation is something that we focus on often in, in, in our, our techniques because it's an easy way to lift your emotional yeah. state. My Nana in her journals would write a lot about how much she loved every single morning her cup of coffee, how she just adored her cup of coffee. And of course, it was the, not just the, the taste and the smell, but the time and the peace. And she was probably outside feeding her birds like, oh, like you do. Yay! <laughs> but we are a, a family of coffee lovers, so I'm going to go with coffee. I love it. And that backstory, I think I'm going to love coffee now too. I feel a connection <laughs> with your Nana. Round number two, would you rather Los Angeles or New York City? Mm. Ooh, okay. So on the first one, I said I love both, which is true. On this one, I'm going, can I go with neither? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I'll say this. <laughs> I'll say this. I grew up about an hour outside of New York City. Yeah. Um, my sister and I are very close in age and very close. And she was a girl who loved New York City, all of the lights and the buildings and, 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 yeah. and culture, etc. Beautiful. I was the opposite. I was the girl that you would have to pull out from the trees and climbing trees yeah. and playing in nature all day long. Me too. Yeah. So I will say this. If I had to choose between New York and Los Angeles, and both beautiful, great cities, of course, I would yeah. probably go with Los Angeles and maybe even because of the weather. Yes. Oh, yes. There is. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Like New York City is beautiful, but I think I could only do it for like a tourist visit, like maybe a, a couple of days. Both great places to visit. I agree yeah. with you completely. But then mm -hmm. like you, I'm not a city girl. Country, nature, obviously plants, birds. That's my game. So we're on I the agree. same page. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And last but certainly not least, this is really interesting that you came up with this one. I love it. Would you rather the superpower to read others' minds or read their hearts? Ooh. Well, I think in light of our conversation, you probably know where I'm going to go with this one. <laughs> I wonder because what you're <laughs> In all of my years of studying the functions of the brain, mm. what I now know is that much of it actually leads to the heart. Yeah. And the brain, while I thought it was the final frontier, um, is going to lead you to the intelligence of the heart. And we don't even, we haven't even scraped the surface on um, what, what the heart can um can do and, and tell us and, and all of the miracles that can unfold from the intelligence of the heart. I'm going to go with the heart. I agree. I think especially from learning so much from you, I feel like everything that comes from the heart is truth, whether you understand it or not. But I think, you know, the brain can sometimes there are outside influences, like you say, there are un unconscious habits, there's trauma, there's all sorts of things that can affect brain function in that kind of like emotional literacy sense. But you know in your heart when things feel right, when you have a feeling about something and et cetera. And I think, you know, say for example, in like a heated argument, your brain might tell you to say something, but your heart is obviously in a very different place. And I think that's probably a more true place of, of you know, where things come from. So I agree. I think 
I couldn't agree with you more. The brain is going to leave you in a lot of different directions. Right, one of, right. One of my favorite teachers once said, the brain may think, but the heart knows. Oh, stick it on a poster, Jenna. Stick it That's on a it. poster. That's right. Words to live by. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, Jenna, this has just been such an inspirational talk. Honestly, I, I, I hope we cross paths again because this is I just think you've got so much to offer and this is such a conversation that that is needed Shana this was a wonderful opportunity and and I'm so grateful for um, you and your audience and I hope that we can have more conversations Um, hopefully this is all unfolding into a direction where um, we are more and more connected exactly, um, and, we, and we take the opportunity to use this technology to connect and connect our young people exactly. for the purposes of, of uplifting humanity. This is it. And speaking of which, where mm-hmm. can we find you? Where are listeners who want to find more about your work, more about what you do? Where can we find you? Thanks so much for that. I certainly encourage any and everyone to check out heartmathinstitute.org, where you will find out more about our research uh, from personal, social, and global coherence. Um, And then, of course, uh, via email, you can always reach me at J, M like Mary, O, N like Nancy, I, Z like zebra, at heartmath.org. Happy to speak with anyone or um, help direct anyone toward any tools or, or just chat and make connections overseas. Amazing. I, I feel so much better just having this talk with you. Thank you so much for taking the time and also, you know, the time difference. I hope that you have a wonderful day after this. I know I'm going to sleep well tonight and um, I look forward to hearing more about your work soon. Beautiful. Thank you so very much, Shana. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, I, what can I say? I really hope you enjoyed uh, listening to that episode as much as I did recording it. Jenna has just got a really beautiful way of speaking, hasn't she? And it's really important work. So I hope this speaks to a lot of you and gives you some ideas about how to support our children, support our colleagues and support ourselves. Emotional literacy is really important. And PSED is our prime area for a reason. Um, If you want to get in touch and you want to learn more, please go and check the description in this episode. Um, Send us a message like we're here for you. Jenna has got so much to give. It's, It's wonderful. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love to hear from you. Please get in contact. This podcast, as I've said before, is all for you and it's about you. So get in touch. Tell us what you think. Also, tell us what you want to hear about. What kind of things do you want answered? What kind of people do you want to hear from? Let us know. We are always open to collaborations, to getting incredible people on to share their experience. And of course, share it with your friends too. Please make sure you like, you rate, you follow, all of the above. Check us out on social media and get involved. We love it. We love it. It's a conversation after all. Whatever you're doing today, I hope it is a fabulous one. And I will see you in a couple of weeks time for our next episode. Have a great day, everyone. So that's it from today's episode. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you really enjoyed it. If you would like to get involved or would like to know more, come and find us on our social media sites. We have a Facebook, 
Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and TikTok account. All of the details will be in the description. And whatever you're doing, I hope you have a great day today.